it's the Creator Spaces Show. Welcome back to the Creator Spaces Show. And today, we're talking about creativity and cooking with Benita Casbo. This conversation highlights the transformative power of food and the importance of having a mindset of abundance. Let's get down to it. Are you a creator? I want to say yes, I am a creator. And I think in many ways, I would love to believe other than creating cheese and making people happy when they eat it, I feel that I am trying to create an energy to really help people learn, help people grow through food. I think it's the easiest way to connect with people uh, because everyone has to eat. And I think even when people are hesitant because it's a different cultural experience eating Middle Eastern food, I think that they're more willing to try learning when there's something delicious in front of them. So I definitely believe I am a creator. And also I realized more in my adulthood that I'm more creative than I ever knew I was than when I was growing up. And I think that's like an immigrant thing for me. Okay, um, so tell me about that within the context of you starting this business. Okay, so when I think back to being a kid, you have to think as an immigrant, right? I came here when I was two and I know people always want to believe, oh my gosh, she's not really an immigrant. Like she grew up in America. But when you understand my life, I was joking with a friend yesterday. I didn't eat broccoli until like I was an adult. We didn't eat certain things growing up because they were not Middle Eastern. So I grew up in a household that was very much centered around this is who you are. And I only spoke Arabic at home. I did not speak English. I only ate Arabic food. We were lucky if like maybe once every seven weeks we got a pie of pizza. We didn't really venture out that much. Maybe one once a year, we'd go to have Chinese food out. It was a very traditional Middle Eastern household. So even though I speak perfect English, and you may say I have a New Jersey accent, I promise you I speak fluent Arabic and it's tough. But the point of my story is that when I was a kid, because I was an immigrant, I was so focused on how do I get ahead? How do I make money? How do I better myself? Because I grew up in a low income area. And I think that when you have that mentality, you do tend to limit yourself in terms of what you think is possible. And when I look back at my childhood and even to myself, like when I was 25, food was always there. I remember being a little girl and assembling a fruit platter and trying to make it look pretty. And, and then as I kept growing, I was always interested in food. So I just never took the leap because I was afraid. I was afraid of not having money. I was afraid of not having a secure job. And I always had these ideas. I just never did anything with them. Benita's story so far explains how her childhood had a major influence in her unique style of cooking, but also unfortunately bred a scarcity mindset due to the very limited options she had. This led to her bottling up most of her ideas and hindered her from discovering her creative potential. But that isn't the case anymore. Now, the question we all need answered is, so what changed? A few things happened. A few years ago, when I was working in corporate America, I still do work. I work part-time because I do have to fund this business. It's not yeah. free, <laughs> especially food, right? You have insurance, kitchen space. So I think what happened was I couldn't suppress it anymore. I feel very stable in me pursuing this now. I feel a lot more confident in my financial situation and not feeling afraid. And it's interesting, I'll tell you a funny story. All this food stuff really surfaced in 2017. I've been making 
cheese for 15 years. And okay. whenever I would make, I would stand at the stove and I'd be like, God, why can't I just sell this stuff and quit my job? I would just be so much happier. But never did anything with it. And then in 2017, I kid you not, I go to the supermarket to pick up my children's birthday cake. And there's a woman there and she's passing out cheese samples. So I go up to her and I try her cheese and it was delicious. I still buy it today. And I say to her, oh, you know what? I make cheese. And she goes, what do you mean you make cheese? So I tell her, I'm like, I'm from the Middle East. This is a recipe that we make. And she's like, wow. And she said, I'd love to try it. I said, okay, I'll be right back. So I literally left the supermarket. I went home and I called my husband and I said, don't be mad at me, but get the gymnast, put it in a Ziploc bag, get me some pita bread, put it in the bag. And I said, I'll be right home. And he's, what are you doing with it? I go, I'll tell you after, just please trust me. So I ran home, I got the cheese, I got the bread and I went back and I gave it to her. And she's like, I'm excited to try this. She gives me her card. She goes, call me next week. I said, I call her up. I kid you not. She loved it so much. She wanted to buy the recipe. Wow. I was blown away. Yeah, that's I never thought proof. that anyone would say that to me. Yeah. So I said to her, well, I can't sell you this recipe. That's like a secret kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> She said, okay, if you don't want to sell it to me, I understand, but I really encourage you to do this. Of course, life got a little complicated for the next year or two. I had to put it on hold and I did start doing all my research and understanding what needed to be done. Like what licenses do you need? How do you go about doing this? And ironically, my youngest child who was in preschool, she would take gymnastics to school every day. And so her teachers started taking notice of it and they were like, what is that cheese that you eat? So my daughter's very charismatic. I don't know where she gets it from. And so she goes, my mother makes this cheese. So her teacher asked me about it and I said, oh, I'll bring you some. I said, and she's, do you sell the cheese or you just make it? I go, no, I just make it for my family. And I bring her a block and she's like, oh my God, it's so good. I love it. So then the director finds out about it. And then the director says, why don't you come in and teach the kids about it? It's a very nature-based school. Oh, so they nice. teach them a lot about like where your food comes from. It fit into the lesson. So we go, I come to school, I'm teaching a little four and five-year-old kids about cheese making. And of course, everyone had to have it and try it. So everyone's eating it. And the director says to me, I need you to meet my friend. He's opening up up a cheese shop in Maplewood, <laughs> which is not far. And she's, I think he would love this. So I said, okay, so I'm not in business right now. I was in business, but it didn't work out. And so she's like, just go meet with him. So I went and met with him and he's, I'd love to have it. He loved it. He's like, nobody has this. He's, you're actually helping me out by having it in my store. So he thought that it was just so unique and he really enjoyed it. And so he's been helping me with it. And I'm very grateful to him because he works in the cheese industry. And so he's been helping me make connections and I'm very grateful. Benita's story exemplifies the importance of executing your ideas because you just never know what might happen. She's been making cheese for 15 years but was hesitating to take the leap to turn it into a business until that unexpected moment where the lady at the store completely transformed her way of thinking. The reception her cheese got opened up even more opportunities and gave her the confidence to put more time into working out what's required to make it a business. Tell me about the cheese. So the cheese is made from a whole mill pasteurized curd. It's cut into blocks, it gets salted, and it has to cure, right? So it has to sit for a certain number of hours. I can't tell you how many hours, because that's part of the secret. <laughs> and when it sits, all the liquid drains out of it. And then once that liquid is drained, there's a secondary process that it goes through. It has to get seasoned with this unique spice called mahi. 
Mahlab. And Mahlab comes from, I kid you not, it's the seed that is inside a specific type of cherry pet. Yep. And so I buy the seeds wholesale. I grind them up myself in a little processor mm -hmm. and they give the cheese, you know, it gets locked into it in the cooking process because the cheese has to get cut. So I have this huge cauldron. It literally is like a witch's cauldron. Mm -hmm. And I fill up with water. The Mahlab's floating in there. It, it's, I'm constantly stirring because the Mahlab always wants to sink to the bottom. Yep. So you got to keep the water moving as the curd is cooking in there. So that way it locks onto the cheese. And then it comes out, it has to be chilled immediately because when you eat the cheese right out of the cooking process, it doesn't taste the same as it does after you've chilled it completely. Sure. So when you know how like when you get those squeaky curds? Yeah. Yeah, so it has like that squeaky, chewy texture. But then once everything is completely chilled, really cold, it becomes a semi-soft cheese, not as hard as cheddar, not as soft as mozzarella, somewhere in between. And it melts beautifully. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like I'm telling you, the cheese monitors are like blown away by it. They're like, it melts so well. And not having that oil layer to it, it's not there. So that's Jivna, and I'm excited about it. I'm now in three stores. I did have another meeting today. I won't share where yet until they tell me yes. And I'm going to slowly build. It's going to take a lot of work because it's not something people know. And I am dealing with COVID situations, so it's not like I can go in and do like full presentation. I have to show them marketing materials and leave them samples and then have them take it home or do whatever because we can't take off our mask. Mm. And then there's a follow-up. So it's a longer process, but it's okay. I'm always learning and I'm continuing to grow slowly. For 15 years, Benita has refined her unique Jibna cheese recipe, and it was really inspiring and refreshing to listen to her dive into the intricacies of the cooking process. That kind of mastery is hard to come by, and is what most of us are chasing, and it sure is available for all of us, if we just put in the time. So I'm curious about yeah. your process when it comes to expanding the audience, because it seems like you focused in on direct to consumer on the cheese stores right now. Do you have plans to go into restaurants or commercial down the line too? So there has been a little bit of interest from, I'll give you an example. There's a bakery interest in having it in their store. And when having it in their store, I mean, using it for like a sandwich or um, mm. topped on like a Mediterranean style salad, as opposed to having feta cheese. So I think that there could definitely be a component of food service to this where people could find me and then say, hey, could we buy wholesale from you and incorporate it into our menu? Or if they have a Middle Eastern cheese plate, it's interesting when you look at Middle Eastern restaurants, even the ones I go to that are like authentically, like the owners from Lebanon, the owners from Syria, when you get those little appetizer plates, they don't typically have jibna on them. So I could see a spot for it in food service. Exactly. They could buy it from me. They probably Yeah, won't. I think. That's... Well, the thing is, like I said, if you're in like the enclave that I grew up in, they do have it there. But the thing is, I'm trying to get people that are outside of that bubble to try this. It's new to the cheese world. Yeah. All of the cheesemongers I've spoken to who have been worked in cheese for years and years do not know what this is. Not one of them. I have met many so far and not one of them knew what this was. That's a good And people are like, be. yeah, so it's exciting because it's like such a niche thing and it makes them more interested. So like people I met with today, part of their interest in me and my product is the fact that not many people have it. They like that. It creates like that buzz, that FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so that's really what got them excited about meeting with me because they wanted to know, is she in a lot of stores? And the person was like, no, she's not. The person who referred me. Mm -hmm. And they were like, okay, I want to meet with her. Love that. Her product is unique and very hard to find. So this gives her a great expansion advantage and simplifies the switch from selling D to C to selling wholesale. Once you find your niche, the demand will follow. 
From there, it's just a matter of making sure you can supply. Where does it go from here? Obviously, you're going to grow out the Jibna business, but then mm-hmm. what's the next what phase? Happens? Yeah, is it more cheese? Yes. Is it other family recipes? Who do you become the Middle Eastern version of within okay. the American food? That's a very good question. So what I would like to happen, which actually in the next few weeks, I am going to have spices available. There are spices that pair with the cheese when you melt it. Oh. So dried mint, Aleppo pepper go amazingly with Jibna Melta. And then I'm also going to have sumac. And then the nice thing about that trio of spices is that those can be used to create a salad dressing. So I can teach people how to take those spices and make an authentic Middle Eastern salad. And after that, I would love to bottle a Middle Eastern salad dressing. But to answer your question about who do I become in my dream of the food world, and I really hate to use them as an analogy because I'm not fond of their politics, but if I could become like the mini Goya of the Middle Eastern world, that would be the, the dream. Awesome. Yeah. Nobody's taken that yet. Nobody's taken it. And that is the key, right? There is not one brand that like when you're like, oh, I need something Middle Eastern. Who do I go to? If you thought like Latin, Hispanic, you're going to go to Goya, right? If you wanted something. But there isn't that category for Middle Eastern. So I don't know if I could ever be as big as Goya. I'm sure, of course, that would be incredible. Dare to dream, exactly. But if I could have an end cap display where you can get spices and you can buy jibne and have really authentic pita bread that's not so thick, like the Syrian pita bread is very thin. If I could have all of that for people who are outside of the zip code that I grew up in, that's the dream. I like it. What's your current goal in business as a creator and creator of cheese? I have so many goals. I think really it's about educating people about culture through food. That's number one for me. Love it. And as always, we wrap it all up by answering the question. If you could send a tweet back to your start, what would that tweet be? Oh, that's tough. So back to the start of when I really wanted to do this. You can go back so long as you're starting something vaguely related to this. I would tell myself, you know who you are and don't ignore it. Awesome. 